This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024, and I've got Finbar Monian here of MediaTek. Finbar, welcome yet again to the podcast. Love to have you on. Thanks, Miriam. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. I want to chat with you today specifically about the Dimensity 8300, big, new, exciting product, but yeah. mostly, you know... In context with the 9300, because it's like it's kind of hard to get a feel for things since we haven't had a device in hand yet. But also, I you know, CS went by about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. I was there. There were some major announcements. But what struck me the most in terms of media tech news was Rabbit and the mm-hmm. Helio-based, you know, what do they call it? Like a, a companion. And, uh, you know, I love it when we see something unusual come out that mm-hmm. uses a chipset that we're kind of all familiar with. So let's talk about 8300. What are what what should we know about 8300? So the Dimensity 8300 we launched I think oh it's a couple of weeks ago now end of the year last year. And it's part of our, you know, premium series, our Dimensity 8000 series, which as you know and as you pointed out sort of sits below our flagship tier, right? So the 9000 is our flagship tier. Of course, we launched the Dimensity 9300 back in November, and then a little bit later, we launched the Dimensity 8300. And this segment has been a very important segment for us over the last couple of years, and I think we sort of created this segment, right? We call it premium. Others maybe refer to it as sub-flagship. But in, in a sense, what we're trying to do with the Dimensity 8300 is bring you know, a really premium experience, leveraging as much technology as we can from the flagship. Of course, you know, price points being different, we can't put everything that's in the flagship, otherwise it would be a flagship chip, right? But <laughs> but selectively, I would say in certain areas, you know, we try to bring as much of that technology from the flagship architecture as we can into this tier, you know, stay on the leading process technologies, you know, bring a really high-end experience, premium experience to the to the consumers. And that formula has proven quite successful by delivering what I would call optimized chipsets for this segment, right? We, of course, see some cascading of the previous generation flagships down as well. So it's a delicate balance, I think, between, you know, what's the right price performance to put into that segment. And I think we've made some significant upgrades with the Dimensity 8300 from the previous generation, the Dimensity 8200, the year before. Can you walk us through quickly, like two or three of those upgrades? I think it's a I, I better think, yeah. chip size, right, as well? Yeah, I think Fab. probably probably the few areas, yes, exactly. So we moved to the second generation of TSMC's 4 nanometer process technology. We've upgraded the CPU cluster to an ARM V9 cluster, which brings about a 20% performance lift in, in computing power, you know, and at the same time, you know, coupling the CPU architecture, the ARM V9 cores, the process technology, and the new memory interfaces, about a 30% power reduction at the same performance level, if you want to think of it that way. So 20% performance, 30% reduction in, in power. I would say the two other areas where we've made some significant progress is on the AI acceleration side. So 
like very exciting, of course, AI and of course now the emergence of generative AI. And we talked a lot about that with the flagship last year in the Dimensity 9300. Right. We have leveraged essentially the same AI acceleration architecture, what we call our APU, into the 8300. The performance is, of course, going to be a little bit scaled back from the flagship, but relative to the Dimensity 8200, we're offering about 3.3 times performance for traditional AI. But maybe more headline-grabbing or, or more exciting is we're also building in capability in this tier as well as the flagship for on-chip generative AI acceleration. And with this Dimensity 8300 product, we're supporting up to 10 billion parameter models for large language models. So again, this is going to allow, as we go into this year, 2024, you know, our customers to deliver you know, unique experiences based on Gen AI technology for both the flagship tier and the premium tier with both the Dimensity 9300 and the Dimensity 8300. And probably nice. the, the third area then is the camera, where we've also leveraged similar ISP technology as the flagship to bring really good, you know, 14-bit high dynamic range ISR, dual camera uh, ISPs, you know, high performance, low power 4K video and video encoding and recording. So I can, there's other areas, of course, but I would say the CPU, the APU, and the camera are probably the three areas where we've really made a big investment in this new, this new product. So Finbar, the, the next question is, have we seen any 8300 devices yet that have been announced? Because so many phones have been announced in the last month because everything shifted early that personally I've even lost track. So fill us in uh, on what you know there. Yeah, it, it kind of is the busy season, all right, so it's understandable. Um, yes, so Redmi um, launched uh, a model called the K70e. Um, okay, they launched that's right. That, I that's think right. Late, late November, early December, I can't remember exactly the date, but towards the end of last year. Um, so that was the first model to launch with the new Dimensity 8300. And there will be more coming as we go through, you know, the next couple of months here. It's funny because I actually remember now, <laughs> you just jogged my memory covering this on the podcast at the end of November or early December, or probably actually a little later than that, probably like late December because this chip did not come out till late last year. But I remember right. this e-model going like, okay, they're doing a MediaTek chip and yeah, 8300 it is. So that's exciting. Obviously, you anticipate more coming, I presume, yep. because this is a very price sensitive tier which is very popular in china right yeah and also i think with some of the oems for their overseas models as well because it sort of hits that sweet spot of performance price that sort of is, is is a good place for some of those those regions you know whether it's india southeast asia europe as they expand out of out of china yeah absolutely so without talking specifically prices here but i'm kind of curious you're your phone oem right and you're uh -huh. looking at making a higher tier device and you're looking at okay should i get a dimensity 9300 or an 8300 what does that translate into a difference in terms of pure like end price difference like obviously you're including something it feels like 90 or 80 percent of what the 9300 can do but mm -hmm. you're obviously doing it in such a way that it's more accessible and affordable right i've always kind of wondered and since you are you know the guru of all things chipsets i thought maybe you can enlighten my audience a little bit because i think one of the things we have a hard time understanding with all these tiers is like clearly 
you know, manufacturers pick their chips based on an overall BOM, right? Build of materials. Of course, they're going to tune down the display and the cameras a little bit from a flagship. So overall, you get a reduction in cost. But I'm kind of wondering how significant is the reduction in cost roughly percentage-wise maybe on on going from a 8 to a 7 or 9 to an 8? You know, mm-hmm. is there something there? Is it really dependent on the deal you have with the manufacturer? Like, is there too many variables? There are a lot of variables, of course, and as you point out, I mean, a lot of the decisions rest with the OEMs in terms of what they want to do with cameras, displays, the amount of memory on chip, you know, the other big cost factors that that, that drive the, the, the bill of materials cost, if you like. But I would point out, you know, to some degree, you know, defining the Dimensity 9 series is relatively straightforward. I don't want to belittle the hard work that my colleagues in, in headquarters in the product marketing and the engineering side do, but... To some degree, flagship is all about just delivering the best that you possibly can, right? The, you know, absolute latest process technology, you know, the absolute latest CPU cores, the absolute latest GPU cores, you know, performance, performance, performance. Obviously, the 8000 series is much more of a balancing act. But I will point out a few areas where there are some significant differences. For example, with the Dimensity 9300, last year, you may recall, we went for what we called an all-big core CPU architecture. Right, we had four of the Cortex X4 cores and then four of the Cortex A715 cores. With the 8300, we actually don't have any of the Cortex X cores. So we're going for a Cortex A7 plus a Cortex A5 configuration, kind of one plus three plus plus four cores. You know, still gives excellent performance, but of course there's some silicon cost savings by not using the, the Cortex X series. The you know, the other big area I would say where the silicon area and therefore the cost of the chipset is is probably impacted is on the gpu side right so again just to give you a comparison dimensity 9300 has an 11 core immortalis arm gpu core the dimensity 8300 has excellent gpu capability but it's got a six core you know mali g615 so again that translates into some significant silicon cost area and then as you look at the other areas i touched on some of them right so you know, the APU, the ISP, the display will use a lot of the same architecture, but we may scale back some of the features and save some silicon area for the 8300 series. So I would say there's, you know, it's 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 a significant enough difference in the chipset cost and the chipset pricing that really allows our customers to kind of differentiate those products at a different price point and a different tier of the market, right? So the right. nine, you know, the 9000 series, of course, goes into their flagship models. These models tend to sit a little bit below that. So, you know, with all of those changes that I was talking about, there's some significant cost savings in the silicon area, which, of course, translates into some, you know, reduced price for the 8300 compared to the Dimensity 9300. And when you couple that with some of the decisions that the OEMs make, like I said, about memory, display, camera, etc., it really allows them, I think, to position these Dimensity 8300 models at a different segment and a different price point than the flagship tiers, which of course go into their higher priced models. So for you, MediaTek, is it mostly a cost of the real estate on the silicon? Or is it also you're trying to, or, you know, obviously uh, you have uh, this huge R&D investment every time you make a 9300 and you're mm-hmm. leveraging that to some extent by making the 8300 and trickling it down next year to the 7400 or whatever it might be. 
how like is as a manufacturing is it purely area or is it is there another big like is the lithography expensive as well or like in the process i'm kind of curious because you know we never talk about these things i think the you know there's a lot of leverage in the technology as you as you can imagine right so we're using similar ip similar architectures between the two products as i mentioned of course there's additional engineering effort to scale those down to redefine the product to actually design the whole system and again when we're talking about these large socs in you know advanced cmos process at tsmc like four nanometer and going in you know it's not a trivial task so yeah, for sure. there's certainly a significant amount of engineering but you know i think we do benefit from having done the work you know in the flagship tier and you'll you know if you kind of compare some of the architectures and some of the specs from the Dimensity 9300. And even looking back to last year's Dimensity 9200, you'll see some similarities. So for example, the Dimensity 8300 uses a, you know, an LPDDR5X memory interface that's interface, exactly yeah. the same as what we had on the Dimensity 9200 last year. So right. between this year's flagship, last year's flagship, you know, that gives us that gives us some leverage. But again, there's still work to do to tape out the whole system and the whole SOC. And with all the, you know, essentially subsystems in the SOC, you know, looking at 9300, you get everything at 100%, right? Like you're basically the best that Mediatek can do. Do you yep. feel that because of the demand of the manufacturer and us end consumers, people listening to the podcast right now, for example, imaging is super critical. So I presume that when you dial that down, you dial it down a little less than maybe CPU or display support, or maybe, and maybe AI is dialed close to max as well because it's becoming so critical. Walk us through this kind of the shape of the EQ, as it were, how you balance out all these parts as you create a, you know, upper mid-tier uh, chipset like the 8300. I think you, I think you nailed it, Mariam. I think for this particular one, and I think this is, you know, kind of what's indicative of the industry, exactly that the camera, the AI capability are, you know, dialed down a little bit, but really kind of trying to deliver as much or as close to the flagship as we can. You know, as I mentioned we certainly scaled back the CPU capability, none of the Cortex X cores. We certainly scaled back the silicon commitment to graphics and GPU. Again, still obviously delivering a good gaming performance, but not the same level as the as the flagship tier. Makes and then sense. Some other areas, you know, where we've probably optimized, you know, for the flagship tier, the Dimensity 9300, we deliver a full external Wi-Fi combo chip which supports Wi-Fi 7. Whereas here with the Dimensity 8300, we've gone for an integrated approach where we support Wi-Fi 6E integrated. And then, of course, there's some cost savings to, to that as well. And then maybe scaling back on some of the 5G capabilities. So this doesn't support millimeter wave. It's a sub-6 optimized modem, et cetera. You know, you put all that together, it, it really can make a, a significant difference and, and allow us to create a separate tier of products with the with the 8000 series and particularly this new dimensity 8300 and so the one of the advantages of the 8300 then it is a complete single chip solution i mean you get the benefits of the efficiencies power wise mm -hmm. related to that so on the 9300 is just wi-fi separate 5g built in and bluetooth built in or how does it work so typically the way we architect at the flagship is the baseband of the 5g is built into all of our socs of course there's an external rf components for the right transceiver. of course and then for Wi-Fi, what we typically do is we build a Wi-Fi plus Bluetooth combo chip for okay. the flagship tier. 
So that, in the case of both the 9200 and this year's 9300, that supports a separate chip with, you know, Wi-Fi 7, the latest Bluetooth standard. Whereas for the 8300, we do the same as we do on 5G. The baseband part is integrated into the SOC, and then there's an external RF for the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth. So from an overall bill of materials, it obviously has some cost savings and some advantages as well. But it also allows us then at the flagship tier to deliver the absolute best Wi-Fi performance and the latest standard and the latest spec there. How many more generations do you think before you can integrate the Wi-Fi 7 as we know it today into, uh, you know, any chipset, say from the 7,000 up? I think, you know, Wi-Fi 7 has obviously kicked off, right? You mentioned CES at the start of the discussion, right? And we obviously saw the Wi-Fi Alliance announced the... You know, certification and the Wi-Fi 7. So now we're, we're, we're officially in the Wi-Fi 7 era, even though we've been talking about it for probably two years. <laughs> so I think, I think you're going to see, you know, obviously Wi-Fi 7 become more and more pervasive. I mean, late last year, I think around the time of our um, summit, summit. We, we announced, you know, two new Wi-Fi 7 products, sort of bringing Wi-Fi 7 for the access point and for the client devices like TV, smart home, PC notebook, et cetera, into kind of more of a mid-range segment. So I think it's inevitable that, you know, we're going to see Wi-Fi 7 capability cascading down the the tiers of of mobile. So I don't, you know, we're not announcing any plans, but I think it's inevitable that it's going to, it's going to start making its way into the 8,000 series next, and then eventually the 7,000 series and and on, on down. Fantastic. Last thing before we wrap up, CES, what stood out yep. for you? It doesn't matter what it is, even if it's not media tech related, but I thought perhaps you had some thoughts on Rabbit, which is a very usual, unusual product and uh, does integrate a Helio chipset for MediaTek. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the interesting areas for me at CES was sort of, there was certainly a lot of talk of about AI and how AI is going to get deployed, right? You know, yeah. a lot of discussion about AI in the PC space, which I think was was interesting. And I think it's you know, we're already seeing some of the useful enterprise use cases that AI is going to enable. And I think that's kind of an exciting thing, you know, for the industry as as a whole, because I think it's going to help flush out what are those useful um, AI use cases. I mean, when we look at mobile, obviously, we've built capability for AI acceleration inference at the edge into the 9300 and the Dimensity 8300 that we've been talking about. And we're going to see customers doing interesting things, both in terms of productivity use cases and maybe, you know, social and entertainment kind of use cases. And my feeling is I think 2024 is going to sort of flush out what consumers really see value in and what's going to be what's going to be useful. I think these new categories of devices that you mentioned, like Rabbit, are also exciting because I think, you know, I personally think Gen AI sort of has this magical feel about it. And therefore, yeah. I think, you know, it sparks the imagination to see how people are going to interact with it and how it's going to be useful. So I'm excited to see some of these new device architectures, these device interfaces sort of becoming available. And, you know, again, I think we're, you know, obviously the rabbit device got a lot of attention. It's a pretty (laughs) cool device. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I suppose the, the other kind of things that stood out for me at CS, we already mentioned, of course, the Wi-Fi 7 era, and that's exciting news for the, that ecosystem and, and all those devices now becoming available. And I think automotive was the other area where right. there was a lot of, you know, CS has become more and more central as a 
I wouldn't say an automotive show, but an automotive tech show where like a lot of the in-cabin tech is demonstrated and shown. We were doing some of the same at our booth, but there was, I think, a lot of interesting things being shown by chipset suppliers, OEMs, tier ones, car makers, et cetera, that, that sort of feels to me like we've made a lot of progress over the, over the last year. And that was, that was kind of exciting. And maybe the last one, there was a lot of XOR and AR glass and sort of technology being demonstrated there as well. So that, that seemed to be another relatively vibrant area from what I saw, at least. Maybe, maybe you had some, some thoughts as well. I agree, absolutely. Definitely those areas for me hit it hard. Always excited to see new devices, hence Rabbit. Automotive, you know, I cover extensively. XR and AR is, you know, obviously clearly seeing a bit of a new excitement due to the, um, you know, the Apple phenomenon, as it were. But listen, we got to wrap up, Finbar. Think, thanks so much for your insights on on CES and, and, and the future, but also, you know, to walk us through some of the more kind of like inside baseball on the chipset, because I think my audience is always excited to see a new chip, but at the same time, it's like, how does this really work? And I'm glad you didn't mind answering my questions about that. So thanks again for being on the show and we'll definitely have you on at some point in the future. And folks, let's carry on with the rest of the show. Thanks, Finbar. Thanks, Marion. Always a pleasure chatting. And I'm back with Parker. How are you doing, Parker? Good. How are you? I'm pretty damn great, frankly. I want to, you know, leave all this media tech stuff behind for a minute and talk about like this Vision Pro madness. It's Vision mm. Pro week. What are your thoughts initially? Vision Pro for me specifically is very interesting because people know me as an Android guy. And so <laughs> Apple stuff is a whole other subject. But of course, you know, being somebody who's just generally interested in tech new stuff is always cool i mean you can't dismiss it right like even if right. you're like it's you know i think even if you're like an oculus or quest person you you gotta look yeah. at this thing and go like okay what's the deal here right oh yeah absolutely and i mean i haven't obviously it's brand new i haven't had a chance to use it but i've seen the reviews i've seen what people think i think there's a lot of positives and i think there's also some negatives for sure like I mean, people are saying that it's kind of mind-blowing the first time you use it. All of the spatial computing or whatever they're calling it um, is just, you know, better than what anyone's seen before with other headsets. But I've also heard people saying it's not perfect and we don't really know how high the ceiling is as far as mixed reality goes um, with these type of devices that you put on your face. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, Parker, can I ask you to center yourself on the video a little more? Because the way oh, Skype yeah. is going to record this, you're going to get, you might get cut off because it's going to put us side by side. Okay. You yeah. So to... yeah, there yeah. you go. Like be in the middle of your video, basically as much as you can. You're good right now. That's Sweet. perfect. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Well, you know, I feel the same way. Like, I think that for me as a tech nerd, I need to look at this, right? I also happen to be a big Mac person. Big Mac, haha. But you know, like I, I have used the Mac for a long time. I have a Mac. I'm recording this on a Mac. I have an iPhone simply to do my videos, my video content, but I'm not an iPhone user. You know that. And you know, for those of you who don't, don't know Parker Burton, he's like one of the best TikTokers in the universe, in my opinion. So, oh. you know, we'll get, no, it's true. We'll get a chance for you to, to tell people where they can find you at the end of the show. But, right. um, you know, I think like for me personally, it's like, I need to look at it, but I have a very fraught history with VR. Like, 
and and I hate to say this, but to me, this is VR, even though it does, you know, oh yeah, pass through and all that stuff. Like, right. The way I see it is like it's VR, and you can't just get out of that storyline. So um, yeah, I, I think for me, what is exciting here is that I was going into it kind of negative because of my bad VR experiences, mm-hmm. and now I'm reading some reviews of people I trust and know and have worked with. And I'm like, okay, like, and they are not going to sugarcoat it, right? Like, Neil at The Verge, you know, used to be my boss for a while when I was at Engadget. You know, Joanna and I worked together, you know, uh, she's from the Wall Street Journal. You know, Lance Ulanoff, who's my editor at uh, Tech Radar, I write uh, car content for them, EV tech car stuff. Mm. And, you know, these are people who have been covering tech for over a decade each like me. And so right. we're all kind of like, know that, you know, it's when you're kind of part of the Apple review program, it's a little mm-hmm. tricky. Like I've had, you know, I've been to the mothership. I've, well, not the new one, I've infinite <laughs> loop back in the day, but I've been, you know, yeah. invited, to, I've, I've gotten my review units under embargo. And, you know, you pretty much have to kind of sign your life away with this, with a phone book size stack <laughs> of NDAs. Yeah. Um, for example, things that I remember from back in the day, they wouldn't let anyone else on the team review the product, which mm. is why, you know, know me, Addie Robertson at The Verge is the VR person. But you notice Neelai reviewed it and mentioned in his review that right. Addie was kind of like, the, he was consulting with her about stuff because they're super strict about who gets to write the review and use the product. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of went into it going like with, how much Apple was controlling stuff, like, you know, not letting them take pictures during these briefings. I'm like, this is going to be worse than the (laughs) experiences that I've had and that I know every journalist has with Apple. But then I saw Eli's review and I'm like, okay, like he's not sugarcoating it. And, you know, he's got the leverage of the verge, right? Like what are they going to do is ban the verge? Like, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. At the same time, you know, I, I read other people's like, you know, Ray Wong, he like when he was eating his, his lunch yesterday while wearing mm. the Vision Pro. Like there's, you know, he's the one who discovered that the the cable from the battery pack is detachable and has this yeah, yeah. modified lightning connector on it, right? Yeah, I saw that. So my point is like, you know, you look at their content and you're like, okay, so there's some interesting things here. Would I go out and buy one? Absolutely not. Like I, <laughs> and, and I, I'll tell you in a minute because I want to hear your thoughts about your history with VR because that, before I tell you mine, but I have a lot of issues with VR, not because I don't think it's a good thing, but because I wear glasses like you. Yep, and it's yep. always been an absolutely terrible experience. And I don't think Apple can solve that. And I'm not about to spend $3,500 to find out if they can. And I know I can demo it at the store and maybe I will, but it's, it's more like I'm much more of a believer of AR than VR, and I'm a yeah. believer of what Meta Ray-Ban is doing in terms of form factor. I understand the tech isn't there yet, right. but that's kind of where I want it to be. And right now, the fact that they are not able to do that, and because of that, they're making a VR headset that has passed through, to me, it's very much a compromise. And I understand the technical reasons they did it, but I'm like... I don't want, that's not the world I want to play in. I w- I'd rather wait for five years for this to, to develop into something that looks more like X-Rail glasses, and then yeah. I might jump in. So what's your thoughts on the whole VR, AR, MR, XR, blah, blah, blah? They call yeah. it reality computing or whatever? Ugh. 
Right. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm in a similar boat. I mean, if we go back to my, I remember specifically my first ever experience with VR. And I think it was actually when Samsung had their, I mean, what did they call it? It was like where you put the phone in the, in the little VR. Oh, the Galaxy Gear? Yes. Galaxy Gear VR. Yes. That was my first ever experience with VR. And I actually tried it at a Best Buy. uh, (laughs) And I, at the time, I didn't really know much about VR. Never really tried it. I just saw they had a demo and I was like, oh, let me try this out. And at the time, I was actually mind blown. I was like, whoa, this is so cool and like i i had a couple of friends with me like um and i went and got them and i'm like you guys have to try this this is like the coolest thing ever but then you try it and you use it for a little bit and then it kind of just like gets old i don't know if that's the way to put it uh it's like it's like one of those things that's really cool at first but like are you actually going to use it in your like everyday life yeah i don't know i mean even people who have like the oculus or the meta quest I feel like, is that something they're using every single day? Maybe no. for a very small yeah, amount of people. Yeah, to work out but... or something, like Beat Saber or something, you know? I yeah, get that. Yeah, yeah, but like as something that you're going to like, like I can't really imagine personally a future where you walk into your office job at work and everyone sits down at their cubicle and just puts on their big old headset and then just gets their work done. Like maybe that is the future, but I can't see it. I don't know. Uh, but like you said, uh, you know, um, AR with like glasses, like X-Real glasses, or, you know, maybe Meta will make glasses like that. I think that is closer to what I can visualize as the actual future as far as this whole AR VR space goes, because I feel like the VR putting on the headset just really takes you away of your real world. I mean, of course, they're doing the camera pass through, which is great. And I've heard great things about it, but I don't know. I just don't think it's the same. It's absolutely not the same. And it's already been written about by others, you know, like how there is, you know, obviously it's a lower resolution experience. There is, you know, some distortion and stuff. And yes, your brain will compensate really quickly. But at the same time, you're getting a lo-fi version of reality. And and to me, the whole point of AR is to augment my reality, not make it worse, right? Like I get that we're not there technically, but I feel like, you know, in that sense, you know, I look back at Google Glass, which I spent $1,500 of my own money for last mm. back in the day. And <laughs> I, I loved it. The only reason it failed is because the initial reaction from the public out there was really negative and right. people got kicked out of restaurants and bars and coffee shops for wearing it because <laughs> they were being jerks. They were recording people. There was no recording light. Like Google made some strategic mistakes, but in terms of the hardware, it was the same. Two-hour battery life, not very useful yeah. You wouldn't wear it all day, but when you did wear it, even though it was just a tiny little monochrome display in the corner of your right eye, it was great. It was yeah. great because it wasn't in your face. It was just right. on your side of your face. It was just kind of there. You forgot about it. And then you would pop something up. You'd be like, oh, cool. I just got an email from my boss. I should probably get that work done. Like, you yeah. know, whatever, right? Like you didn't feel like it was invading your world. And you look at the hardware today, it's still super small and sleek, right? And imagine if that hadn't failed. Imagine if that had continued for a decade. We would have that built into Meta Glasses now for sure. You know, yeah. Ray-Ban style, style, right? 
And to me, the fact that it worked with my glasses, I could just put it on top. It wasn't a big deal. It was always in focus. It worked because my glasses are great. So like, you know, this is the thing that's missing here. And I'm just really kind of bummed out that a few bad actors ruined Google Glass for us <laughs> and Google abandoned it because where would we be now, right? You know, it starts yeah. with a little monochrome display in the corner, but then maybe the next gen it's slimmer and the display is color. And then the next year version, the, the, the color of view, the field of view is wider. Then maybe they put one on yeah. each side and then now you get stereo view and stuff. And like, I understand that there's some things you can do with Vision Pro that are not AR things that are absolutely probably amazing, probably better yeah. than anyone has ever done with those incredible micro LED displays that they have in there. Right. I think that, you know, watching a movie in 3D or even just in 2D is going to be mind blowing on that thing. And that, but that oh, to yeah. me isn't, that's not AR, that's not MR, that's <laughs> not, that's just VR. Like you're just, yes. you're virtual theater, right? And, and I don't want to pen that, but that, that's not what I think about when I think about a device that I wear to assist my life, right? Like I'd yeah. rather you have a separate device that just does that. Like that just is just a virtual giant screen. I put it on and when I'm by myself, but if when I'm with friends, I'm going to watch on a projector or a big screen TV because there's that social engagement exactly. thing, right? And then I think the other thing that Apple made potentially a mistake with is the um, eyesight, they call it. You know, the fact that it shows your face. Like I yeah. get what they were trying to do there, mm -hmm. but who's realistically going to interact with their family or their kids like they see yeah. in the ads with this thing on? Like you could save $1,000 by not having that display and all the complication it brings. And then that terrible, you know, scanning of your face so that you can be in a virtual, um, you know, FaceTime call. You saw yeah. those avatars. They're oh, yeah. so bad. <laughs> and look, I'm, you know, I drive a Tesla. I understand all about beta software. I've been there since day one on the Model 3. I pre-ordered it. It's my second Model 3. I know I've seen beta software. I'm okay with it. But to me, this is a little to beta, you know, like autopilot very, very early on when I first got my Model 3 in 2018, it like drove like a drunken toddler. Like, and I was like, <laughs> wow, okay, this really needs a lot of work. And now it's like pretty polished and yeah. works just fine. So like, I, I know it can improve, but I'm just like, you're, you're trying to make this too complicated. Wouldn't it make more sense to just, you know, like instead of animating you, like place a camera somewhere in your, in your space, you know, and just have uh, Yeah. I actually like, thought about that. Yeah. You know, it could, could, like if it was a good enough camera or maybe two cameras and two different spot in the room, you could like correct for angles and stuff. And like, mm -hmm. kind of like, you know how the 360 view works in a car where like, if you're yeah. ever driving a car, that's not a Tesla that has a 360 camera right. view would stitch it to get like, do that. Like, Maybe it'll be better, maybe it won't, but it, I know it doesn't solve the problem like when you're in an airplane, when you're, you know, it, yeah, it, it, true. You know, like part of me is like laughing at my suggestion I'm about to make because it's kind of janky and app would never do it. But like, you know, <laughs> just having like, you know, like a mic boom, like you have a mic boom on some gaming <laughs> yeah. headphones, like have a boom with a camera that sticks out in front of yeah. you. Like <laughs> that, like it would look good, but it would be a million times better in terms of right. what it would look like. Even so what, I what I would think about that is, you know how like the MacBook can use continuity camera. You can connect the iPhone to the MacBook. If they just did it the same way, you set your iPhone up in front of you somewhere and it just yeah. connects to the Vision Pro and then you could have like actual FaceTime Or even calls. just hold your freaking iPhone. You're going to have an or iPhone you, or anyway. Or just hold it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. The whole avatar thing. I, 
I, I haven't really seen people be negative about it. I feel like everyone's like, oh, this is pretty cool, <laughs> no, which I guess it is being... cool tech. But also when you're talking to somebody, I feel like it's kind of weird <laughs> to just be oh, talking to a super uncanny, animated dude. version. Like, just, just look at that thing. I mean, there are some people like Marquez's avatar looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like Joanna has like poofy cheeks, you know, <laughs> Eli's hair is completely messed up. And come on, yep. Eli, yep. we all know how much his hair matters to him. And his <laughs> hair is his brand. You cannot mess his hair. And yeah. even Marquez's hair doesn't look right, right, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Apple kind of overcomplicated this. Um, yeah. And I understand they're trying to, kind of fill all the gaps so that nobody can complain that they're missing a feature or whatever, but right. then you have the two hour battery life with the external yep. battery pack, you know? <laughs> and, and so forget your all day use, although some mm-hmm. people are plugging that into the wall, like Joanna used it for exactly an entire day That's without crazy. sleeping with it, <laughs> like other than sleeping. She started at noon and ended at noon and uh, she had it plugged into the wall a lot while she was sitting down. But I just, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to pan. Like, I know as an engineer who's worked on product that a lot of hard work went into this. And oh, yeah. Apple's team is absolutely at the bleeding edge of this right now. But I feel like as a product, mm-hmm. we ha- possibly have to go through this. Like, I don't know if you saw today, but the developer who did the, the Apollo um, Reddit app for... Mm. Um, you know, like iPhone and Android just relaunched his YouTube app for the Vision Pro. So oh, really? we're starting to get, okay. because, you know, Google said we're not going to support it right. at launch, just like Netflix did, right? So we're starting to get third-party apps, five bucks on these, in the Vision Pro store. It's like, I, I think this is great. Like, this is showing that, you know, the developer, you know, potentially exists because it's Apple and, you know, Apple and developers are, or have have a fraught relationship, but definitely a long relationship, and it's been beneficial, I think, for all of us. So on one hand, like yeah, you know, it's expensive. Battery life is bad. It's got all these weird quirks. It's heavy, from what I hear too, which I think is going to be a problem. My biggest gripe yeah. with VR is that it's a prescription lens gripe. It's like I have a yep. very unique prescriptions, and I'm not even sure that Zeiss can custom make lenses inserts for this Vision Pro for me. I'd have yeah, to figure same here, that out. Actually. You know, so I always have a bad experience when I try them at like conferences and events because I'm like, you know, they give me like the closest thing and it's never quite right. And then, you know, I get hot and sweaty in there (laughs) and, and I feel claustrophobic, not good. It's not good ventilation. It just feels heavy on my head. It's just always a bad experience. And, you know, People are going to say, well, one day somebody's going to make it a decent experience. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think this is Vision Pro, is it? I, mm. I think that I'm going to, I could eat my words when I go to the Apple store and try it out sometime. But the yeah. other thing too <laughs> is like, I went to CS like you did and like everyone else did. And I, I went to our, the folks at TCL invited me to their uh, suite that they had at the MGM Grand to see all the new products. You yeah. know, their, their next paper phones are really cool with the yeah. like e-ink style display right. and, you know, their giant TVs and stuff. And then they had their TCL glasses there. They're just mm-hmm. a display that you hook up to your, <laughs> and we could not find a way for me to see this thing clearly and be comfortable with it. And then when I tried putting it on top of my glasses, which as you, if you're watching this on, 
on Patreon, guys, you know me, you know my glasses are, are pretty big. Like, it just wasn't going to work. And I got frustrated because they, they just didn't understand why it was annoying to me. I'm like, because you, you don't have glasses. You either wear yeah. contacts or nothing. And to you, it's, you don't understand the problem. But this is, to me, the number one biggest obstacle. What is it? Half the population out there is wearing glasses? Do you really, frankly, yeah. expect them to pay a premium to get a prescription for lens inserts that might or might not work right, you know, that's only compatible with one device? You right. know, like you can't reuse those lens inserts and put them in a Quest. Yeah. I mean, so, I'm, in, I'm in the same boat. I, I have glasses and my I actually have a lazy eye in my left eye. So my left eye has a very strong prescription and my right eye has a fairly normal sub, uh, prescription. So... Yeah. Sometimes it's very difficult for me to use these types of headsets because either, you know, I can't use my glasses. And if I don't have my glasses on, my left eye is nearly useless. And so when it comes, especially to like even using like 3D stuff that they're trying to use, like with Vision Pro. And even if I go to a movie theater and they have like a 3D movie, sometimes it doesn't work super well because my left eye isn't, you know, able to see uh, that great. So, yeah, even when. It comes to VR. If I can't have glasses, it definitely affects me. Even with like X-Real glasses, like I have to either, you know, just deal with it being like a little bit, it seems like, it feels like it's a little bit out of focus for me, or I just put my glasses on under it and it, you know, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but it works. It's not a solution. Like we can't have a half-ass solution for this. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say is like, and Apple knows that. And I, you know, I'm skeptical whether they've solved the problem because prescriptions are pretty broad in range and and okay so yeah. maybe they they went from 50 percent of people wear glasses i'm making that number up but mm-hmm. it seems like that's reasonable and then you know maybe they managed to make it work for 25 percent, like the t- another 50 percent right. within that group yeah they they're able to correct with those dice prescriptions but that's not a lot like that's just i don't see like why not to have something that's more like glasses that doesn't need some kind of complicated insert you can like it's like the Ray-Ban meta, you know, camera glasses, it's like you just, you can get a normal prescription in them because yeah. it's just a normal set of glasses. That's kind of what we need. Like right now, when I look at the TCL glasses or the, the X-Rail glasses, it's like the display is the glasses and then the inserts right. are the extra thing. I think it should be the other way around. Yeah. I think that the 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 optical correction should be the what you see and then yeah. somehow the display should be projected into that somehow like i know technically yeah. this is the challenge right it's <laughs> not we're not there yet but um or you know go direct free for like a project with a laser right in the retina that's that's the solution <laughs> just you know, burn our retinas glass, right to the core <laughs> yeah the, the glass is just normal but from the corner there's a little laser beam yeah. that just draws on your back of your eye and just says here is your display of your you know and i think Sounds scary, but like you could probably do this eventually safely. It's just a matter of like making it work. Right. Um, I mean, we watch laser projection on in movie theaters all the time. Like anything that's Dolby Vision uh, yeah. on in a movie theater is laser projection onto a screen because of the high uh, the high dynamic range, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm so torn by this because the VR is not what I want and. You know, I know people who love their VR. They do their exercises in it, you know, Supernatural or whatever it's called, the app. And Mm. they do their thing. And every day they spend their hour in their VR headset in the gym or whatever. And just, you know, 
I no, no, like that's just like, oh <laughs> my god, just the thought of that is making me anxious. Yeah, I mean, for you know? me, like, I think it's cool. Obviously, like I said earlier, when there's new tech, I just love it because I love tech in general. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I'm glad it exists. I think it's cool to try and use. But for me personally, I don't see myself like actually adopting it into like my daily lifestyle. I think it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll use it for like an hour, maybe once every couple months for fun and then probably put it down and forget about it for a while, you know? Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's early days. I think I'm, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I think, you know, where Apple has potentially a big advantage is that they have developers in an ecosystem and you do need to get this in the hands of developers. Even if I only buy a Vision Pro or a Vision device from Apple five years from now when it's better baked and they've solved yeah. a lot of the problems or 10 years from now, you know, at least there's been all that time developing apps and creating content for it. And I think that's where Apple's going to completely leapfrog Quest, you know, Meta and stuff, because they just have, I mean, Meta has a lot of support right now, but I feel like they just, you know, the, never underestimate the Apple developer community. Like, you know, yeah. as much as I love Android, every time I use, you know, Instagram on an iPhone, it's so much better <laughs> baked, right? It's right. so much of a better experience. And mostly the quality of the, of the, you know, like uploading content from an Android phone. It's not that the Android phone does a bad job at recording that content or creating mm -hmm. that content. It's just that the app just destroys it. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I can take the same video file from my Pixel or, or Samsung and put it on an iPhone and upload to Instagram from there. And the result is just better. It's like, yeah. how is this not fixed yet? Right, right. How many Android users are out there? A lot. Like, <laughs> oh yeah ah man so frustrating so yep. we'll see how it goes but um in the meantime it's nice to read these reviews it's nice to kind of get that insight and kind of live vicariously through other people for once it's not <laughs> me doing it you know yeah i don't have to be the one worrying about being the um what's it called the early adopter and i can kind of sit back and go like oh okay this is interesting right <laughs> yep yep there it is you feel the same yeah, I I mean, you re you review a lot of things and you finally get to just watch. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So yeah, for me, I think this is a big challenge is that can we resolve, even if we can, you know, I might accept VR if they can solve the the lens insert issue, the, right. the heat and weight and kind mm -hmm. of claustrophobia, uncomfortable issue. Battery life, of course, but that's only going to, that's going to fix itself. It's just a matter of yeah. time. What do you so, think is Apple's end goal here? Do you think this is something they're trying to, you know, get into everyone's household to be like a normal consumer product? Or do you think it's more of a specialty, like just, you know, developers and just people who are doing lots of work and stuff like that? I think they see it as an iPad product right now, you know? Mm. They kind of put it out there. You know, at first the iPad was like, okay, this is cool. You know, it's like a big iPhone. And eventually yeah. developers started making apps that really made it useful. A lot of music apps, a lot of like, you know, app for people who are creating uh, visuals using pens yeah, and, and kind of like drawing tools. And now it has a pretty good, especially on the, I think the pro products are, are pretty, pretty solid. And at the low end, the entry level iPad is a great con content consumption device. I can totally see a pair of, of, you know, vision or vision pro becoming that long-term as just another option 
or potentially for some people, the main thing, right? But I think this, unlike the iPhone, unlike the iPad, it's going to take years to get there because of all these problems we just discussed. It's not accessible. And I'm not just talking about accessibility in terms of price. And I'm not talking about accessibility in terms of, you know, um, you know, Mostly the the whole concept of like not everyone can wear this and have a good experience and yeah. and and you know maybe I'll go to the Apple Store and be proven wrong when I demo <laughs> it and they find a way to make me see this and focus without feeling you know like I'm you know hot and and it's have it's too heavy because I mean I do have a big big head so maybe I have a strong <laughs> enough neck to hold up the thing I yeah. don't know my point is I could be wrong on that but I just feel like. They are having to start somewhere and imagine yourself as Apple. You have incredible amounts of money in your bank (laughs) and what are you going to do, right? So car is a good idea, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. car, but that seems very hard because Apple is so controlling of everything that I feel like even if they made a car, anyone they partner with, right? That's a car manufacturer, assuming they partner with someone it's not going to be a good partnership because Apple works in a very different way than the yeah. traditional car makers. Maybe they could partner with Tesla, but again, Elon is too much of a control freak. Apple, <laughs> not Tim Cook, but Apple as a company is too much of a control freak. I think Elon's too rogue for Apple. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think it would work, right? But at the same time, doing the car from scratch like uh, Tesla did is going to take take a long time and a lot of money. So that's one avenue they can explore. But you know, at the core, Apple is a consumer tech company. Mm-hmm. And like, I just feel like you're probably going to have more success selling a $3,500 headset that's eventually within five years going to be $1,000 than yeah. you're going to have to try to enter the EV market with obviously what Apple wants is autonomy. Like they don't, I don't think they even want to let you drive. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. <laughs> and so we're not there yet. Right. And, and there's a lot of competition, like, like at least with this, they only have meta quest to worry about really. Right. Yeah, and true. I don't want to un- underestimate the team at quest. I actually know some of the engineers there, but at the same time, like realistically, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm pretty sure Apple can eat their lunch right now. The biggest advantage Meta has right now is that they have a headset that costs 500 bucks. That's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think definitely like right now, it's kind of like everyone who's buying the Vision Pro is just signing up to pay a crap ton of money to be a beta tester, which I mean, Apple has so much. I did that with my Model 3. I understand. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And Apple has a big enough of a following, of a dedicated following that they can trust that they're actually going to get people to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I don't think it, it'll be, if the price stays where it is, which I assume it won't, you know, down the line, then it will never be a consumer product. If they can get it down to $1,000 and still make it really good, then I think it could be a consumer product. Absolutely. And I think it'll get there. And And if they can resolve this optics issue for those of us who really need the correction. Um, I think I would love to see Apple in the same way as, you know, a case for an iPhone, like seven, eight, SE, second gen and SE third gen is the same case. I would love to see a place where for at least five years, the Vision and Vision Pro products use the same inserts. 
Yeah. I, right? you know I, what I'm that saying? would be very annoying. Like if you got lenses for your Vision Pro Gen 1 and then you buy the Gen 3 and it's like, well, now you have to buy new prescription lenses for and, it. And I think that's what we're going to see because in order to evolve the product and miniaturize it, it's going to have to change. But I love them to get to a point where, okay, you can just use the same inserts for two or three right. generations. Right. And Definitely. again, you know, this is... It's, it's a hard, look, it's a hard problem. Like, I'm not saying it's easy. Like, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to give Apple a hard time here. I get it. But I also think it's Apple. They, mm -hmm. if anybody, they can figure it out, you know? And I, oh, yeah. I would put more chips into their that game than chips into the game of them making an Apple car right now. And this is me knowing EVs and the industry and yeah. driving all the cars and understanding how they're made and all the challenges around that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch gears to some news items. Um, sure. It's not too, it hasn't been too busy this week, but one of the things I'm really excited about is the Realme 12 Pro series that finally became official. I don't know how much you follow the Chinese phones and Realme in particular, but... This is a $350-ish phone with yep. pretty much the same telephoto 3X camera as on the OnePlus Open. Yeah, I, I've, so I, I'll be honest, I'm very new to Chinese phones. I've, you know, I'm a, I'm a very new content creator. I've only been doing this for about two years. So uh, I've mostly dealt in US phones, but now that I've been, you know, learning more about Chinese phones and actually getting to use You've been them exposed. more recently. I've been, yeah, I've been exposed. I'm like, wow, there's you some good the stuff out there. I know, it's pretty great. Because I, I feel like in the US, you know, if you're going to spend 300 bucks on a phone, you're just going to expect that it's not going to be that great for the most part, unless you're getting like a special deal or something like that. But somehow these Chinese phones, they just like make them like 200 bucks and they throw like these awesome features and specs at it. And I'm like, whoa, like how are they doing that? So, I mean, this phone, I think it starts at $310 for the yeah. 12 Pro and you're getting an AMOLED display, 120, 120 hertz, hertz 1080p. with a te telephoto lens. I'm like, like three years ago, an AMOLED display on a phone under $500 was unheard of. So yeah. like even that is kind of crazy. Well, I, I mean, honestly, Parker, they've had AMOLED on $300 phones in China for four years now. There's really? nothing new. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so just to give you a bit of context, the Realme numbered series, right? Like, you know how there's like also the Xiaomi numbered series. The Realme yeah. numbered series has always been kind of their mid-ranger because for a long time, Realme did not make flagships. Mm. And you can think of Realme as the new OnePlus. They, they're part of BBK Group, part of Oppo, OnePlus, yeah. that, that whole thing. Their OS is a carbon copy of ColorOS slash Oxygen OS. It's called yeah. Realme UI, but it's exactly the same. Mm. Um, the You can literally look at the phones and go parts bin, like, oh, this is the display from this OnePlus <laughs> and the camera yeah. from this Oppo. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Like, obviously, so use a SuperVOOC charging, 67 yeah. watt here. My point is that the Realmes have always been super aggressive in this mid-range field. Like yeah. you, they, since the very original Realme numbered phone, that price was always around 350. They haven't gone up. Okay. You know, they've they've constantly delivered more than you'd expect for that price, especially in China and in India, where it's extremely competitive. In fact, Realme was created and branded that to compete with Redmi, which is Xiaomi's low-end or value <laughs> brand. And yeah. because 
Redmi became so popular in India, BBK Group was like, yeah, we have Oppo and Vivo and OnePlus there, but we need to create a brand just to compete with Redmi that is called similar. And they they called it Realme. And they did it. (laughs) It's sneaky, right? Yeah. So there's always a like number, number pro. And then in the last three years or so, they've added a pro plus. Mm. And the pro plus has always been camera centric. So, you know, they've introduced things like one year they put a 200 megapixel on one and it could do lossless 3X zoom because it could double crop, you know? Then I think that was the, I want to say that was a 10 10 pro plus or maybe the 11 pro plus, I can't remember. But then, you know, they added, oh no, that's right. That was the, that was the, 11 Pro Plus. I think the 10 Pro Plus had OIS and a mm. really large sensor for the main camera, which is unheard of at the time in that price point. You know, but you look at this, right? You've seen even the, the, the Pro here, only the Pro, right? Has mm-hmm. like 120 hertz, you know, OLED. Um, it's got, you know, 5,000 million battery. It's got, you know, SuperVOOC 67 watt charging. Snapdragon yeah. 6 Gen 1. Mm, it's going to be a little j- janky there, but yeah. The camera, I mean, 50 megapixel OIS, no messing about. IMX882, which is a new sensor, but it's, you know, one half inch, one half inch for a budget phone. That's not bad. Yeah. It has a 2X telephoto, 32 megapixel. If you read between the lines and you look at the Bart spin, that's a telephoto <laughs> from the OnePlus 11 from last year. Yeah. It's a portrait yeah. lens. Okay. And then the Pro Plus. I have one right here. I, I should have taken it off for the Patreons. I'm sorry, guys. It's my, I just flew back from the Bay Area yesterday, and it's still in my bag. Mm. Um, but I have it here, and that thing is crazy. You know, it's got the same main camera, I believe, but then it adds a, the, the, the crazy, you know, the crazy 3X slash 6X lossless yeah. telephoto from the OnePlus Open. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> for 300 bucks well, I, i'm losing my mind here guys <laughs> and it's a 7s gen 2 chip that's not bad yeah like that is not bad actually no i was wrong the main sensor is as is the sony imx 890 that's the same main sensor that's again on the oneplus 11 from last year yeah not a all bad right. one of course ois and all that good stuff so yeah, you get sure you get an eight megapixel ultra wide, which is probably the generic part been ultra wide that's been on every BBK yeah. group phone for the for etern like all <laughs> of eternity at this at this point. But this is why I'm excited about these phones. And also, if you if, if you import this through Amazon or Ali or another you know importer, most of the time they'll work just fine in the U.S. You know, especially okay. on yeah. T-Mobile or any or network related to T-Mobile, like Mint Mobile, one of our sponsors. Um, look, I'm super, I'm stoked about that. I'm going to try it. I don't, I haven't set it up yet. I didn't unbox okay. the video. I need to like yeah. put my credentials in there and get going. I have the GT5 Pro, which was their flagship that they did, mm. which is basically the first time, like they haven't done too many flagships. Um, this is the first time with the GT5 Pro that they've done a flagship that is basically competing with OnePlus 12. Uh, not okay. 12R, uh, competing with Oppo Find X7 non-pro. Like okay. they've gone up there. I give you an example, the specs on the GT5 Pro. It's got the same main camera as the as the OnePlus 12. It has okay. 
the it's got the the open telephoto as well mm -hmm. so it's very similar to that for the cameras but yeah. it has 100 watt charging 50 watt wireless charging a metal frame instead of plastic it's got the 4500 nits display from the OnePlus 12. <laughs> Sounds like the OnePlus 12. <laughs> it's a OnePlus 12, basically it's a OnePlus 12, but instead of getting that better uh, ultra wide, the 48 megapixel ultra wide, you get an eight yeah. megapixel ultra wide. Okay. And and, and what, display, what's the price and point there? The display is a little small. It's like 500. Okay. In China. All right. All right. There like, you go. And, oh, and Snapdragon HN3, of course. Oh, you know, all right. of course. For 500 bucks? Know, Dang. Yeah, five five fifty <laughs> something like that. No, it's just insane, you know. And this is very typical of Realme. So I, I, I finally, this has been rumored for a while, and and I've, it's finally official. I, I, I have had it for a bit, and I couldn't talk about it. So I'm just like, yeah. yes. You know what the um, crazy thing to me is with the what? Realme 12 Pro is so it's three hundred and ten dollars for 128 gigs, or if you want two fifty six gigs. It's $325. They only charge you 15 bucks. 15 bucks. That, I know. That's like, unheard of in the Apple. US. I know. Hello, Apple. <laughs> or yeah. in the Pro Plus, it's only $25 more to go from 8 gigs of RAM to 12 gigs plus to go from 128 to 256. I'm like, dang. They really just See, not overcharging this is there. why, <laughs> Parker, if, since you're, you know, have, you know, you're still young, you probably haven't traveled a huge ton. You should go to India sometime mm. and just do a special bunch of content on the crazy indian phones oh yeah because I, they're I all like that, that. You, there, there's all these there's this incredible ecosystem of mid-range phones there that you're like oh my god i wish it like here we have like moto g crickets 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 i mean it doesn't <laughs> matter what version of moto g you pick whether it's like the play yeah. which is really low end or the higher end ones like the 5g stylus one crickets okay crickets the closest <laughs> thing we get to this stuff is with the oneplus nord n series yeah. And even then it's like we get like kind of the bottom parts been barrel. Like we get the mm -hmm. IPS L C D, right? We don't get the yeah. actual like OLEDs. Although one year they did an OLED, the N twenty had an OLED, which was only sixty hertz, but I was actually on board with that. I was like, I'd rather take an OLED at sixty hertz than an L C D at one twenty or ninety. I'm sorry. That's me, but Yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next thing to to kind of talk about, and I think this is between us, audience, I'm getting mm -hmm. the devices. I can't be more specific than that. But but the <laughs> Xiaomi 14 series is going global. And uh, you should probably hear more about this at MWC in Barcelona next. Well, where? We're already in February. Later this month. Okay. <laughs> just realized we're in February now. It is. Yep. <laughs> so, so later this month, I'll be in Barcelona. But yeah, ultimately... The Xiaomi 14 series will be out for Europe. Right now, it's only available in China. We know that phone a little bit because we know that the Pro, for example, has titanium frame. It's a very cool looking phone with like really great cameras. So I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, now they've teased the launch. I think it's coming. And you know what I really like to see is an Ultra. Hopefully we get that yeah. because then we can compete with the Oppo Find X7 Pro, which I have. Which I <laughs> Can't wait to. I actually have to set it up as well. I, I got it at the same time as the OnePlus 12, so I had to focus on my OnePlus 12 review. Mm, and right. I haven't had time to play with the Oppo Find X7 Pro. Yeah. So stay tuned for some content with that. Yeah, and the only uh, Xiaomi I've ever used is the Xiaomi 12S Ultra. Okay. And it was cool. I didn't get to like actually switch my SIM into it, but I got to like test it out in the cameras. And I'm like, that's a cool device. It's the only time i've ever had any sort of xiaomi in my life well it's but giving it you cool. a good taste because that was a really solid phone yeah yeah 
Yeah, but their camera stuff is really great. So I, I have high hopes for what's coming at MWC on that. The other thing that I think is, I mean, I don't know, but it makes sense that it would happen at NWC as well, is nothing you know, revealed that they are working on a yeah. phone 2A. Yeah, It's interesting that they're picking the A name like Pixel to right. make their mid-range phone, I guess. Yeah. I assume and this is going to be a mid-range, right? I figured like, so the, the Nothing Phone 1 released at a price point of, what was it, like 450 or something like that? And then the Nothing Phone 2 released at like 550 They upped yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, they upped um, it. So I feel like... I feel like a lot of people really like the Nothing Phone 2. I love the Nothing Phone 2. Oh my God, I, th- I love I it think too. It, mm-hmm. Like the price point is great. It's just cool. It's like a unique phone and it performed very well. Like I, it was actually one of my favorites. And, but I think some people were a little bummed out about the price increase because, you know, they knew nothing from the phone one as to be yeah. like kind of a, you know, a more budget option. And so in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that the Nothing Phone 2A is almost just like, a remake of the phone one. I think it's going to be a little lower end than that because the phone one, I mean, I could be wrong, right? But the phone one, other than the chipset was flagship essentially, right? Like the cameras, the, the chipset, the chipset was the one thing that I was like, oh man, like it didn't feel quite as snappy as I was. Exactly. Right. And, and, you know, and it had like, you know, it had the metal frame. Like, I'm not sure we're going to, like, I, I would like to see them really maintain that, teenage engineering design edge of the materials and everything and hopefully they can pull it off and actually hope that it's actually more affordable than phone one um you know well let's see how let's see how it pans out i have a feeling we're going to be pleasantly surprised um i have high hopes for nothing yeah (laughs) me too (laughs) 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 Uh Uh okay the next thing is the Techno Spark 20 Pro Plus. I've got a bunch of Techno phones here. I didn't yeah. get that one, but I'd love for you to tell us about it because you yeah. did a couple of videos uh, on your on your Instagram. I linked to it in the show notes. So tell us about this phone. What, what's the deal? What do you think? What do you like? What you don't like, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I've been very recently exposed to Chinese phones. And so this is one, one of the first, not the first, but one of the, the first and man, like I said earlier, this th- this thing's like 180 bucks and it yeah. has OLED. It has 120 hertz. It has a 108 megapixel sensor, which at that price point might be a little gimmicky, but the camera is actually not bad. Like right. I was like, like if you compare it, it's 108 megapixels to like the S20 Ultra when they first introduced that, it's not as good as that, but right. it's still taking some pretty solid photos. And like, I can just imagine like in the US, if you release a phone for 180 bucks and it has 120 hertz AMOLED, 108 megapixels, I'm like, that's crazy. Lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I haven't like actually put my SIM into it or anything uh, to actually, you know, fully test it or anything. But my first impressions are like, wow, for the price point, that is very impressive. Yeah. So Techno is, is owned by a company that also owns Infinix. And mm-hmm. they're based in Shenzhen and they are actually kind of like partially owned by a French company that a bunch of ex Alcatel people run, I think. Okay. And because Alcatel for a long time was a big phone manufacturer out of France. We're talking decades ago now, but back in the day when Siemens was making phone, 
when Ericsson was making phone before mm-hmm. they got blended into Sony and became Sony Ericsson. Um, we're about to talk about some nostalgia here in a second, but I <laughs> think the, the thing you need to, the takeaways, I think for the audience is if, and I mentioned this before, but Infinix and Techno are both, you know, gunning for markets like Africa, South America, mm. India, uh, yeah. Eastern Europe. And so the prices there are even more sensitive, right? And right. so, yeah, they're pushing the envelope. The biggest thing, my biggest gripe with the Technophones and the Infinix phones in general has been, you know, the software is kind of janky. It's kind of like Red mm. Magic, you know, but at the same time, you're not going to get too many updates and stuff. But the right. spec sheet looks pretty solid and the quality is there. Like you take photos, yeah. it's decent. The displays are decent. The performance is decent. The battery, yeah. they usually have fast charging of some kind on their oh, yeah. phones, like, et cetera, right? So, Overall, I actually really enjoy the Infinix and Techno phones. So, yeah, I was just and excited it, to see <laughs> you had covered one that I haven't gotten yet. Yeah, it, I think it's uh, also just as a content creator standpoint, it's fun to make videos on these types of phones because a lot of people aren't making videos about yeah, them, nope. and they're and also exactly, very yeah. interesting. They have like, like I did videos on Ulephone recently. That is that makes such a good video. Oh, did you get the giant one? The one that's yes, like yeah, they yes. sent it to me too. Um, the one that's a twenty-two thousand milliamp yep. hour battery. I got it with, right here. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Uh, it's like a brick. It's like two pounds or something. You know, they, they had actually made a commercial or not like, like a like an ad online of them running it over with a car to show that it was you know, very durable. And so I took that to the test and I ran it over with my car and it totally shattered. <laughs> it's a it destroyed. It still works uh, technically, but. Wow. It, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I saw, I got that thing and I was like, I don't have time for this until after MWC, I put it back in the box. Uh, um, Cause it's like. <laughs> for like me, it I, just makes great short form videos. Cause they're just so. Oh yeah. For hilariously, you it's perfect. For you it's like, absolutely perfect. It's so interesting. <laughs> for me, it was more like, I kind of dig the loud speaker that they have like 80 decibel or whatever speaker mm. but i didn't realize that the bat there was going to be so thick like and i somehow like i read <laughs> the specs and i'm like twenty two thousand million that's a lot but like oh, in yeah. my mind like i didn't i didn't equate that into what it would look like oh it's you know huge. in my mind it's, <laughs> it's huge it's a brick <laughs> so yeah uh anyway um but you know what speaking of old brands you know, that I mentioned Alcatel just earlier and Siemens. Oh my God, that's like, we're talking 20 years ago stuff here. Mm-hmm. When when bar phones with numpads were still a thing at the high end. Uh, yep. HMD Global, the company that acquired the Nokia brand for Android phones and yep. that has been making all the Nokia branded phones in the last, you know, five or, I don't know, it's been probably like almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's five years, at least five years, probably more, but not quite 10 years. I have to look that up. Uh, they decide, they're dropping the Nokia brand. This is the end yeah. of an era. I'm like, how do, well, How dare you? I, <laughs> I, I mean, know. no, I, don't get me wrong. Like, here's the thing. HMD started off really good. They, they were like, we're going to be like, we've heard it loud and clear. You guys want Nokia phones that run Android. We're going to give for that. You know, at the low end, at the mid range, and at the high end. And they did that. And then I don't know what happened, but they somehow stopped doing the high end and even the mid range and kind of focused on like this budgety and unlike, you know, the Chinese, even though HMD is manufactured in China, they're headquartered in, in Finland, but mm. they, the value wasn't there. So yeah. even in the U S they tried to compete with Moto G and they, they got their lunch uh, eaten, which is, you know, 
if you're getting, you know, beaten by a Moto G, you're, uh, <laughs> in terms of like sales, I don't know, dude, there's something's wrong. Yeah. Especially when you have the Nokia brand behind you. They kind of squandered their lead there that they had for a while there. You yeah. know, the, 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 the Nokia PureView nine or whatever it was the one with the five cameras or six whatever mm. it was in the back you know the idea was really cool but then they kind of didn't execute properly and it wasn't good enough and but it was a flagship and because the reviews are so bad they decided to stop making flagships this is totally not what you do what you do yeah. is you double down and you do <laughs> another product that's good yeah. like what were you thinking nokia or hmd oh. so are they are they trying to continue making phones just without the nokia branding or are they just like done no no they're gonna do phones that are gonna be hmd branded that's it See, they're gonna continue to doing me. the same very very yawny very kind of boring you know budgety phones yeah. but with with hmd instead of i feel like if, i don't get it yeah i feel like if you're you know making phones that aren't a great value and you have nokia branding i feel like that's the one thing that you have going for you that would that's maybe what, actually get you some sales a hundred percent but drop on top that of doesn't that, make sense to me yeah i agree with you a hundred percent but on top of that on top of that it's nokia how do you want to like that is like you're killing an iconic brand yeah for for what yeah. for for nothing right it reminds uh, me of when uh meta dropped the oculus name exactly like that was you know iconic and, and they're just like yeah never mind we're not gonna do that anymore i know <laughs> like okay <laughs> what yeah the last thing that's a little sad is bullet ceasing operations bullet mm. manufactured the cat phones which are yeah. like rugged probably some of the best rugged phones i've ever used to be honest i mean china makes a lot of rugged phones there's ukitel there's an, a bunch of others that i've used over <laughs> <Yulifone>. the years <laughs> Yulifone, exactly that's another yeah. one. actually Yulifones are pretty good uh i i didn't dislike them a, a, as much as the ukitels ukitels are really janky in my opinion but mm. But Bullet made the cat phones and they were great. They also made Moto rugged phones. Like they uh, were able to license the Motorola brand to put on phones that they made that were rugged phones that were yeah. a little less like construction grade, but more like I'm very clumsy and I want a decent phone and I'm, I, I don't want to put a case on it. So that yeah. you know that's kind of like the market they went for. Kind of like Yulifone actually, because Yulifone, they're not as bulletproof as the cat phones, right? Yeah. Um, and they went out of business. They, they, I know there was reports of them struggling for a while there, but this yeah. is it, which is kind of the end of an era. Like, I'm not going to lie, Parker, one of my top videos of all time on my YouTube channel is a Cat S21 review. Really? Yep. Wow. I don't know why. Still gets tons of views and numbers. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. But you know how YouTube is. It's weird. So... Yeah, I've actually never had a chance to try out one of the cat phones, but it was one that I was like, ooh, I want to try that. Again, like these weird type of different phones always make good videos. So I'm like, I, I was like, ooh, I, I got to try that, but they're going to be gone. You know, that's, that's the thing for me. Like a lot, of, a lot of my content includes Chinese phones because my audience is tech savvy early adopters. They kind of yeah. love the forbidden fruit. And not only that, they, it also gives you and me the the media and the people or the content creators and my audience our audiences my audience your audience like a good taste of what the trends are right mm. like a lot of stuff that we see on the iphone and samsung phones today are things that huawei started back in the day when they were at the top of the game like for a while there like five years ago before the ban Huawei was, you could not touch and nobody could touch huawei like they were mm. so much more ahead of everyone else <laughs> yeah it was 
indisputable. And they were defining a lot of things like, you know, and then like even, you know, Oppo, right? First periscope lens, Oppo, right? First in-display fingerprint sensor, Vivo. Like Mm. a lot of people don't know that. First, you know, 65 or 67 watt charging with dual batteries, Oppo, right? Like a lot of what we take for granted in our Android phones today comes from the Chinese makers. Yeah. And so when you're covering something like the Realme 12 Pro Plus, even though that phone will never make it here, and yes, you can import it, but why would you? Because a year from now, there'll be another Realme 13 Pro Plus that's even better. Like, (laughs) this tells us where we're going. It shows us a really clear path as to what to expect, right? And that, to me, is what's exciting. It's kind of like, you look at Chinese phones and you can predict the future. Like, oh, look. Oh, oh wow. Apple finally put a periscope lens on their freaking phone. How long has yeah. it taken them? You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's what's cool about it. Listen, we should wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? All your social media handles, of course. Tell sure. them all about your YouTube and all the other stuff, TikTok. Yeah. So my, my username on all of platforms, Instagram. Twitter slash X, uh, YouTube, TikTok is at I'm Parker Burton. So I am Parker Burton. Uh, or you just search Parker Burton and it'll pop up. So it's just my name and uh, you'll find me. And you're on all the platforms, right? Like YouTube, TikTok, Threads, Insta. Yes. Facebook? Yes. Are you on Facebook? I don't I, know. I actually am, I did start Facebook a few weeks ago. I only oh, have okay. like 30 followers. <laughs> it's not hitting the algorithm yet, but we and, are, and we're of there. Course, <laughs> yeah, you, you, said, you said Twitter. Okay, cool. So yeah, pretty much everywhere. So folks, like, go check out Parker's work. It's awesome. I love watching your stuff. It's also, a lot of it is, is you know, short videos, vertical videos. Yeah. That's not a big investment. You just watch it for 30 seconds hit the like button, subscribe, all go. that good stuff, <laughs> and uh, get yourself some Parker in your lives. All and right. you know where to find me, guys. I'm at Tank Girl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, just like the comic book character. Drop all the vowels, and you get my handle for Twitter, for Blue Sky. I don't know why I still do that, but it's there. <laughs> for Threads, I think Threads is really where I'm the most active right now. Instagram, mm. of course. I don't do TikTok because I'm old and <laughs> I'm confused by it, but I, I love it. I love the people who do it well. I admire them. I have YouTube, of course, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. You'll find some very rare videos there because it's maybe once a month at this point. I've just been really overwhelmed with other things. And it's all right. But you know, like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the bell, comment on YouTube, comment about the podcast on YouTube if you want. And of course, the podcast itself is at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on all the major podcast apps, you know, like Google, Apple, Pocket Casts, uh, Spotify, all that. If you want to rate or review the show in your app, that would really help. And then, um, you know, Patreon, I have a Patreon. You should check it out. Patreon.com slash tankrl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. You can get a video version of this podcast where you can see me and Parker. <laughs> and and it comes out usually a day or so ahead of the audio version. And it's one of the tiers. There's other stuff. There's a Discord server, other things. So check it out. Patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And if you can help me out, that'd be great. If you want to help me out another way, there is a PayPal button in the show notes where all the links to all the stuff we talked about is and you can click there and and you'll buy me a coffee or something fun like that finally i want to thank our sponsor mediatek mediatek the world's fifth largest global fabulous semiconductor company powers more than two billion connected devices each year and is a market leader in developing innovative systems on chips socs for mobile device home entertainment connectivity 
automotive and IoT products. And I want to thank you, Parker, for being my guest. Oh. Thanks so much for being on the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Awesome. I'm glad. We'll have you on at some point in the future. And folks, you know we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.